0: I thought Lord what do you you want to say to the people this morning and I kept asking him and I was getting nothing and then three words kept coming to me the enemy within the enemy within and I just kept hearing the enemy within so it was the enemy within and this thing just kept coming back and back and back to me And it was only when we really were getting ready for the 21 days of fasting, it was just just kept coming every day, the enemy within. And the Oxford Dictionary describes an enemy as someone, not something, be very sure of this, it's not something, it is someone, it's a living thing with a consciousness of its own. As someone who is hostile towards you because of your, maybe your race, your position, your status, your opinion, your beliefs, your ideas. It's someone who actively opposes you. They go out of their way to do whatever they can to discredit you, to dishonor you, to destroy you. And in extreme cases, an enemy will become an adversary. And an adversary is somebody who definitely wants to destroy. It's not enough to discredit, they want to destroy, they want to obliterate. And you've only got to look at what's happening right now in Israel and Gaza, to see that that's not just two, two nations that are enemies, they are adversaries. They would be quite happy if one could obliterate the other. Is it, is it echoing again? Because it really sounds like it is to me. Can we be closer? Is that better? Okay. If it, if it carries on, I'll try and use the other mic. So scripture tells us that we have an adversary, the devil, who actively fights against us. He's not just an enemy that wants to discredit us. He wants to destroy all of the things of God. And if it means destroying us, so be it. So be it. But we also have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who fights for us. So, straight away, you've got two opposite forces at war with each other. Straight away. And Romans 16, 6 and verse 16 says, Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. And Satan is an external force. Yes, he he can infiltrate us and he possesses people, but technically he's an external force. We are talking this morning about an enemy that is within us, that's part of us, that doesn't come and go, it's part of our nature. And that is the willful, the sinful, the disobedient human nature that actively fights against the purposes of God, actively. It affects our mind, it affects our body, it affects our will and our emotions. And if you can imagine a small child and you sat them down and you put a chocolate bar in front of them and you said, don't touch it. If you touch it, you're gonna get in trouble, you'll be sick and you walked out of the room That child, first of all, would look at that chocolate bar. And inside the mind, they would start to get the thoughts. It looks delicious. It looks pleasing to the eye. Their mouth would start to salivate. So it's not just involving now the sight, the mind, now the feelings, they want it, they're desperate for it. And in the end, they give in and take it. And that's what the human nature is within us. It's something that affects all of our lives. If we're not aware of it, it will always be with us. But at the end of the day, none of us were born saved. Not one of us. We all lived a life before we came to Christ. Some lived longer than others, but we all experienced the world. So none of us were born saved. We all have a human nature. And it doesn't matter how pious we feel we are or how long we've been saved or how good we think we are, every single one of us carries a sinful human nature. And that human nature will always want to oppose anything, anything that God wants to bring good into your life. You don't, sometimes we're not even consciously aware that it's happening. Sometimes we are, but sometimes we're not. And the scripture is full of people who gave into that sinful human nature. We think of Adam as the first one, the one who worked, walked poor perfectly before God. But he gave in to his sinful nature when he was tempted to take the apple, to have wisdom, to be like God. Pride rose up and he disobeyed God and through him that seed of disobedience was birthed in every single human being that is a seed of Adam and that's us the only one who was Jesus because Adam was not his his ancestor he was the son of God but for the rest of us we are all the seed of Adam and Eve so that sinful nature that disobedient willful nature is within each and every one of us We think of Moses, the great shepherd of the people, Moses, but he disobeyed God. God told him to speak to the rock, but he felt he knew better. Maybe he thought, all these years I've been serving you, Lord. God told him to do something, but he chose to do something else. And when we choose to do the opposite of what God tells us to do, that's disobedience. That's because of the disobedient, willful human nature. And Moses did that, and he missed out on the promised land. We think of David, the man after God's own heart, the man who served God from a boy, who worshiped and danced before the Lord. And yet, he disobeyed God, the time when the kings should have gone out to war, he decided to stay home. And while he's up on his balcony, he saw Uriah's wife, and the seed of lust came into his mind, his eyes, like that chocolate bar, he saw that woman bathing, and he thought, wow, she's beautiful. And just like that chocolate bar, it went from the eyes to the mind, he desired her. And from the mind to the desire, the will, he wanted her. And in the end, he gave in with his body. He committed adultery with her. And that adultery then led to murder, lies and murder. So again, it was just the sinful nature that came up. And last one I've got here is Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. After he did such a mighty act of power through God, destroying all the prophets of Baal. And yet when Jezebel, a mere woman, a mere human being, threatened him with his life, instead of him trusting on the God that he had believed in to do a mighty miracle, he allowed his sinful nature to fear, to fear her, to fear a person, and he ran and he hid. So the the sinful nature is real. No matter what, what we think, the sinful nature is real. And let's be honest now, if we were to all secretly search our own hearts, how many times have you actually said to yourself, even with these 21 days of prayer, Lord, why couldn't it have been like this? Why couldn't this have been like that? It would have been easier. It would have been more convenient if this was that way. But that's us. That's our sinful nature, wanting to do things our way. And when God gives us an instruction, when God tells us to do something, we often think, oh, why can't it be this way? Why? Lord, it's too hard. That's just the sinful nature in us, opposing subtly the things of God. But it's very subtle. And how many times when you've sat down and you've thought, you know what, I need to pray. I need to spend some time with God. I need to read God's word. Do you suddenly get every thought in the world flood into your head to tell you something? Look over there, what about this, what about that? Before you know it, it's gone. Or you know you need to do something for God. You need to get up and do something aches and pains come into your body and you're thinking oh Lord I want to rest, I'm tired anything or that that thing that you've been putting off for an eon that you've, you keep thinking oh I'll do that tomorrow all of a sudden it becomes the most important thing you've got to do because you've said to yourself I am going to do something for God I'm going to get up and pray I'm going to read all of a sudden the rubbish has got to go out you could have taken that out this morning but it's got to go out right now that's just the sinful nature subtly within us, trying to just move us away from God. If you can imagine a train going along a track, and they just suddenly just tweak the, the, the track, and you don't even notice that the train has just veered off the track. And it's not until you look back that you see that, i hang on a minute, how did I end up here? I was going along this road. How did I suddenly end up here? That's the subtlety, but also the power of our human nature. It doesn't always do it by shouting and bawling. It can be very, very subtle, but it fights against the will and the purpose of God. And I just want to read something in Galatians 5 about the, about the human nature. I'm going to be using a couple of scriptures today. So if you've got your, your Bibles, it's Galatians 5. And I'm going from verse 16 to 21. And it's Paul talking about the human nature. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit wants to give us the desires that are opposite to that of the sinful nature. There are two forces const- constantly fighting against each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, this re- the results are very clear. It's sexual immorality. It's impurity. Lustfulness lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. So the sinful nature is responsible for such a lot. And this is just a small list of what the sinful nature will do. And when we're talking about the sinful nature, sinfulness, as I said, is disobedience to God. So we're talking about a disobedient and nature is what is natural to you. It isn't something that you have to do. If it's left unchecked, it's like if you've got a garden and you never go out and cut the grass and weed and and prune that garden, it naturally will grow to overflowing. So it's something that happens whether you do something with it or not. So when we talk about the sinful nature, we're talking about something that is within us, naturally, that if it's not curbed in some way, these are the things it ends up leading us to do. And you've only got to look out in the world and you can see these things playing out every day in the lives of people we meet all the time. You hear it on the news all the time, you read it in the paper, It is the sinful nature of man that Satan infiltrates. He tempts us through our own passions and desires to lead us subtly away from God. And when we give in to temptation, it leads to sin. And where does sin take us to? To death. So this is the power of the sinful nature. Again, Paul in Romans 7 and verse 14. Romans 7, yeah? Bear with me. And I'm going to go from verse 14. If you bear with me. Paul says this about the sinful nature. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with us, it's with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do is right. Sorry, for what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing the wrong, it's the sin living in me that's doing it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It's the sin living in me that does it. And Paul says, I have discovered this simple, this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. And Paul ends with, oh, what a miserable person I am. Because that's what the sinful nature does. It doesn't help us, it doesn't benefit us. In the end, we become a miserable person. The world doesn't understand about their sinful nature, they just see it as the norm. But we who are the children of God understand that there is the way of God and there is the way of man. And every time we give in and follow the way of man, we know it leads us to distress, to harm, to guilt to shame, to self-condemnation. This is not the way that God wanted it to be. And I just want to talk about, when I was thinking about this scripture, the Lord was, I was reading the Gospel of Mark 11 and 12 where Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem and this is an example of how the, the human nature opposed the will of God, and how dangerous that human nature can be. And Jesus came into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry, and in Mark's gospel it says that he went into the temple and he had a look around, good look around. But because it was late, he left and went back to Bethany. But the next day he came back, and this time he didn't come back to have a look around. And in Mark 15, Mark 11, I'm just going to read what Jesus did. It says that when they arrived back in Jerusalem, this is Mark 11 and verse 15, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone for using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, the scripture declares, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And he was quoting from Isaiah 56, when the Lord says, my temple shall be called a place of prayer for all nations. It was a place where the destitute, the lost, the needy, the foreigner. He mentions the eunuch, one who feels that they've got no purpose in life, nothing to pass on, the foreigner who feels like he doesn't belong anywhere. It was a place of sanctuary, a place where the needy could come in and encounter the presence of God and be taught and be fed and be changed. It also talks about for anyone who would keep the laws of God, anyone who would worship the name of the Lord. The Lord says, I will bring them to my holy mountain. He would bring them to joy on his holy mountain. So the temple was supposed to have been a place of sanctuary and safety for people to come to. And I just want to read something in Malachi about that just tells you a little bit more about what the temple was for. And it's from Malachi 2 and I'm reading from verse five. Actually, I'm gonna just read a little bit from verse one and I'll I'll go to verse five. It says, listen you, listen you priests, this commandment is for you. Listen to me and make up your mind to honor my name, says the Lord of Heaven armies. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor me. And this is what they were supposed to do in the temple The purpose of the covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them, and this required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie and cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from sin from sin. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge for God and people should go to him for instruction for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the temple was supposed to be for that when people came in they met with God. But when Jesus went into the temple and drove out the money changers Instead, he found that those who were responsible to serve in the temple, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, for ease, I'm going to call them the custodians of the temple, the ones who were given that command as priests, the command from God listen to me and obey my command. Jesus found that they were doing the complete opposite. The complete opposite. They had allowed the temple of God, the place where the presence of God dwelt, to become a place of commerce, a place where people satisfied their own sinful desires, their own greed, their own want for power, to be praised, to be worshipped, to be looked upon and thought, gosh, they're, they're great. And that's what Jesus found when he went into the temple. They had disobeyed the command that God had given to the priests of old that were supposed to be passed down to them in their generation, but in their own sinful desires, pride kicked in, greed kicked in, and they were doing the opposite and using the temple of the Lord wrongly. Amen. And in Malachi, I'm going to carry on with with Malachi 2, from verse 8 because this is what actually happened in the temple. We've read about what the temple should have been. Now this is what happened. From verse eight, it says this, but you priests have left God's path. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levite, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. For you have not obeyed me, but I've shown favoritism in the way you carry out instruction. And the priests would favor those who came into the temple who were rich, who were prosperous, who had money, and they would seat them in the best seat. and the poor, no, you, you stay back there. That was not the command that God gave them. But in their their own righteousness, I'm talking about the, the, the religious leaders, in their righteousness because they had taken God's command and said, maybe we'll do it this way. It's easier if we do it this way. It pleases us more to change what God has commanded us to do to what is easier for us to do. And that is disobedience, pure and simple. And the enemy would have got into these priests, got into these custodians as they saw that their power rose, their wealth rose, as they saw that people greeted them on the streets and bowed and worshiped them. This was all feeding into the human nature, the sinful, willful human nature that opposes the will of God. And Jesus said this of them. I'm just going to read what Jesus says of these people in Mark. Mark, sorry, Mark 12 and verse 38. And Jesus said, beware of these teachers of the law for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seat of honour in the place of synagogues and and at the head of tables of banquets yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public and because of this they will be more severely punished so when we as the children of God don't follow God's example where do you think judgment is going to start? it starts in the house of God, it's going to start with us so we need to be really aware of Yes, the enemy will tempt us and yes, absolutely he does and God doesn't tempt anyone. Anyone who thinks that God tempts them, God does not tempt anyone. But the enemy tempts us when we give in to our lustful desires and that leads us astray. But if we didn't have a sinful nature in the first place, he wouldn't have anything to tempt. So we've got to be aware that within each and every one of us, whether we like it or not, it exists and it's real. So the temple had become, instead of being a place of worship, instead of being a place where God's command was followed by the priests, instead the temple had become a place of religion. And they were using God's word, God's presence, God's everything to suit and to satisfy themselves. It was no longer a place, a place of worship and encounter. And when Jesus went in and cleared the temple, What he was doing was removing every obstacle that was stopping the flow of the Spirit of God in the temple. Because these things, that's what people were focusing on. They weren't focusing on God. They were focusing on making money. They were focusing on prosperity. They were focusing on using and abusing the people. The temple of God was supposed to be a focus of God for the people on God to be blessed. And Jesus went in and he first and foremost cleared the desk, the decks. If you can imagine, you've got a messy table. I mean, whenever I'm cooking at home, the first thing I need to do is clean the kitchen. I've got to wash everything down and I have a bowl of soapy water. So as I'm cooking, I'm washing because it's got to be clear so you can see clearly what you're doing. And Jesus came into the temple and he cleared the decks. But he didn't clear the decks to hurt people he didn't do it to offend or to hurt the religious leaders instead he did it in order to bring the true worship of god back into the temple and the scripture tells us that he started he went back the following day and he started to preach the good news to the people he started to heal the sick he taught them He brought the true essence of worship back into the temple that the disobedient religious leaders had allowed to leave the temple. So straight away there was a conflict, the will of man and the will of God, straight away. But the religious leaders quite liked the way things were. It suited them. They were living a comfortable life. They were doing church the way It suited them. But they also knew that Jesus was loved by the crowds. So it would have been more convenient for them to get him to come over onto their way of thinking than for them to go over to the way God wanted them to be. So they wanted him to join their ranks, to be one of them, to conform to their way of serving God because this would elevate their own position But Jesus came in and cleared the temple because he wanted them to see where they'd gone wrong. He wanted them to see where they'd lost their way, where they had left God's path, where because of that own desire in them to suit and please themselves, they had allowed their own human need for power, for wealth and pride. Their need to be noticed and praised and respected by people to take precedent over their service to God. The human nature had taken over. But in order for them to actually see that they'd gone wrong, they needed first to recognise who it was that was clearing the temple. Who is it that's actually come in and said, you're not doing this right? If they could have recognised Jesus was the Son of God, the actual owner, the ruler, the king, that that was his seat of office that they were supposed to be serving in. And if they could only have recognized that, they would have actually confessed their sins. They would have recognized, we veered off God's path, confessed their sins, asked for, for forgiveness, and actually changed their ways. Just bear with me. And Jesus said to the religious leaders, sorry, we'll go back, they needed to humble themselves. In order to recognise that they had gone wrong, they needed to humble themselves and recognise that their sinful nature had taken over. But what did they do? They took offence. So the sinful nature rose up even more They were offended by Jesus, how dare you? Who do you think you are? He was the true master of the house, but they thought that they were actually serving God the right way, and Jesus was supposed to go over to their way, but Jesus just simply exposed their human nature was taking over, because he actually brought the true essence of worship back into the temple. So as I said, there was a clash between the will of God and the sinful nature of man. And the religious leaders who already didn't like Jesus, they already disliked him, they were jealous of him, because outside the people were turning to him and listening to him and they were realising that, hang on, what he's saying ain't what you say. The way he acts isn't the way you act. The way he treats us is not the way you treat us. And they were realizing that. So they didn't like him in any way, shape or form. But what really turned them to become Jesus' enemy is that not only was he challenging them outside, now he came into the temple and challenged them. Their seat of power or what they thought was their seat of power where their pride and their purposes were being played out. Jesus now came into the temple. We are the religious leaders. We are the ones who have been given the responsibility to administer to the people, to tell people what is God's will, what they should and shouldn't do, how they should live. How can he come in the temple and tell us what to do? Who is he? And they took offense. So much so was their offense that they opposed his rule, they challenged his authority, they questioned his identity, and they tried to trick him into saying something that would justify them killing him. They hadn't just become Jesus's enemy, they'd become adversaries. They wanted to get rid of him so that they could go back to doing things the way they always had that was comfortable to them. And Jesus said of the religious leaders that because they had chosen the way of sin and that way had allowed them to fulfill all their earthly desires, that they would be severely punished. And in the cold light of day, if somebody stood here and said, church, do you choose the way of the devil, the way of disobedient or the way of obedience, we automatically would all say, we choose to obey God. But we don't always recognize the subtle little ways our human nature will just veer us off. Very, very subtle. So, how did this confrontation play out? How did the religious leaders act to Jesus? Well, in Mark 11, listen to their response. This is Mark 11 and verse 27. Again, they entered Jerusalem and as Jesus was walking through the temple area, the religious, the leading priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, the big guns, the highbrows, those with the power came to him and didn't ask, they demanded, by what authority are you doing this? Who gave you the right to do these things? Imagine, these are the servants who are supposed to be serving him are asking him, by what right, by whose authority are you doing these things? And they challenged him. So as I said, they challenged Jesus' authority. They didn't recognize he was the son of God and the rightful ruler of the kingdom. They saw him as a teacher a rabbi, a holy man at best, maybe even some of them a prophet, but they certainly didn't recognize him as the son of God. He was a son of David, but that made him just a man, just like them. So if he's just a man, a son of David like they are, then what right did he have to go into the temple and challenge the way that they were running things? He had no right. So this is why they questioned him, they challenged him and opposed him because they didn't recognize who he was. Then they sent the Pharisees to try and trick him with a question of the law. And when you go home, read chapters 11 and 12 and you'll see, you'll see the story that I'm, I'm quoting from. And the Pharisees came to him and said, on the law, what should we do? Should we pay Caesar's taxes or not? And Jesus spoke about their hypocrisy because he said, You're the ones who are going out telling people how to live, but you're not living it yourself. And in fact, you're even making up your own rules to tell people how to live, but you're not living that way yourself. And he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but to God, You as the religious leaders, as the custodians, as the people who were ordained to serve in the temple should be giving reverence to God. You should be giving your all to God. But they weren't doing that. And so Jesus pointed out their hypocrisy. Then they sent Sadducees to go and question him. They didn't believe in the resurrection. These were the spiritual leaders, the people who were supposed to be leading the people, guiding the people, and they didn't believe in a pivotal part of the gospel message, the the power of resurrection that gave hope to people. They didn't believe it. And Jesus said to them, you are in such error because you don't know the word of God, you don't believe the word of God and you certainly don't understand the power of God in Jesus and he challenged them on that and then there were the teachers of the law and they were the ones who, oh they knew the law they knew all about it, they understood it and they came to Jesus to question him about which was the greater commandment and they were more interested in the religious side of it. And Jesus simply said, the law is summed up in two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no greater law than these. Why are you making it so hard? Why have you allowed your sinful nature to turn what God meant to be simple, the salvation of people, and you've turned it into something where people feel they can't attain that, they can't live like you, they can't walk the streets as piously as you, why have you done that? And Jesus said to, to, to the um, teacher of the law, you know, you might know what the commandment is, you might understand it, and he says, you're actually not far from the kingdom of God, because what you actually now need to do follow it. Don't just speak it, don't just think it, but actually live it. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. And what's really ironic is that the enemy within, if you remember the title I started with, the enemy within was not from the people that Jesus drove out of the temple. It wasn't from the moneylenders or the people with the flocks or the doves. The actual enemy came from within the temple itself, the religious leaders, from those who were given the the, um, the mandate to serve God. That's where the enemy, the, the challenge to the real purpose of God was coming from. Can you, can you see where I'm, what I'm, where I'm going? Jesus was trying to bring the truth in, but they were opposing him. So what does that all mean to us? How does it affect us? Well, the scripture tells us that we are the temple of the living God. What I've just been reading from in Mark happened when Jesus was on the earth in a physical temple, a building. But the temple of the living God isn't this. This is just the place where we meet. We are the temple of the living God. We are the ones that house the spirit of God. And I just wanna read from 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. It says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you and God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. For God's temple is holy and you are his temple. And God's word hasn't changed. So if what was supposed to have happened back in Malachi, that we were supposed to be the ones who brought the presence of God, then it hasn't changed now. In our daily lives, wherever we are, we are the ones, as I said, who house the presence of the living God. So people should be coming to us for instruction. People should be coming to us for hope. People should see light. We should be living right. We should be living righteously. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't cheat. We should be the ones. We are now the custodians of the temple. The ones who have been given the authority to serve God through our physical members in this earthly temple. So the purposes of God hasn't changed. But for the purposes of God to be manifested in us Something's gotta happen. And just as Jesus came and cleared the temple back then of all of the things that opposed the purposes of God, I really believe that the Lord gave me this message because he wants to clear our temple. He wants to get inside of us. He wants us to recognize that our sinful nature opposes him, opposes the rule of God. And over the past couple of years that we've been meeting and crying out to the Lord, I believe the Lord has been looking at us. He's been listening to us. He's been watching. And it was really funny that the beginning of the prayer, 21 days of fasting, Simon says it was as if he could see the Lord peering in on us and turning his ear to us. And I remember going home that night and saying, Lord, what were you looking at? If you were looking, what is it that you were looking at? What were you listening for? And I felt the Lord say to me, he was looking for those whose hearts are for him. He was listening for those who are crying out to God to come in and change them. Not just saying it with their mouths like the religious leaders, but desiring it deep down in your heart. God change me. God, do something. God, make me effective in this generation to affect the world. And I honestly believe that the Lord is looking at us, each and every one of us, who collectively and individually form the temple of God. And he wants to come in if we will let him and clear the temple. So that the true presence, the true purposes, the true nature of God will be manifested in his people. And that's what we've been crying out for. That's what we've been meeting for every night to say, God help us. We want you Lord, we want you Lord, but we can't want the Lord on our terms. We can't allow our own pride or our way of doing church to get in the way of what God wants to do. And we need to be very clear about that. We've got to recognize as well the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to change not just people's lives, but to change our lives as well. Because it's got to start in the house of God. That's where Jesus went to. He went to start in the house of God. And he wants to start in the house of God now in us. To clean us, to change us to purge us of all of the things that are wrong. And we're never gonna get rid of our sinful human nature. It's with us, it's part of us. We're never gonna get rid of it. But Paul says this, and I'm gonna go back to Romans and finish off that last bit. From Romans 7 and verse 21, where Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's laws with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. But this is where it changes. Because he says, who will free me from this state that dominates, who will free, sorry, Who who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who can change us from where we are to what we should be? And the answer is, thanks be to God. Because the answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he went on the cross, Jesus nailed our sinful nature to that cross. And he came down, but he left it there. It's defeated It no longer has control or dominion or power over us. But we first have to understand that we have to walk in the Spirit. We can only defeat the human flesh, the human nature, if we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. That's how Jesus lived. He surrendered himself fully to the Holy Spirit and to the commands of God. And so I just want to encourage us this morning, church. It's not a message to chastise. It's not a message to put you down. It's a message of encouragement that God has been listening and he's been looking and he's been looking and saying, I can hear what you're saying. I know that you're crying out. I know that you're seeking and you're eager and you want the things of God to be moving in the church. But there's got to be a move in us. There's got to be a clearing out. There's got to be a recognition. Not not so much that Satan is tempting us, even though he is, but you've got to recognize that Satan is only tempting us through our own sinful, human, willful, disobedient nature. And if we can get hold of that, but recognize the power of God through Jesus Christ to overcome that human nature, What will God do with this church? What will God do with his church if we can really get hold of this truth? So as we just come together to pray, I just want you to search your own heart and ask yourself, do you recognise it in yourself? Do you recognise in yourself when your pride rises up? Do you recognise when you get irritated with something, or angry, or jealous, or envious? Do you recognize when the greed comes through? Do you you recognize when the lustfulness comes through? You know, all of these things are are, um, byproducts of the human nature, and we've got to be aware of them, especially in the house of God, because these religious leaders were allowing their human nature to govern what they did in God's house. We must not be, be like that church. We must not be like that. We have to recognize the power of God to raise us up, to clean us up, to empower us and to set us on a new road, a road that actually impacts the people out there. So as we come together to pray, I just want to ask the Lord this morning. Lord, just just bow your heads with me, everyone. Just bow your heads. Hallelujah. 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 Father God, we recognise this morning that right from the very beginning of time, You had a plan and a purpose. We recognize from your word that you had a purpose that you wanted to be fulfilled in your temple. And that the earthly temple was just a shadow of what the temple is now. That you have come and infilled your people. You dwell within us. And we have become your holy sanctuary. I thank you, Lord, that you have been merciful to come and want to partner with human beings. And I pray today, Lord, that as your people are bowed before you, that, Father, you will show us where our human nature has risen up against your will, your commands, your covenant, and opposed your will in our lives whether it's affected us through our minds, through fear and doubt, whether it's affected us physically, mentally, however, Lord, whatever the obstacles are that stand in the way of your people, I pray, Lord, that you will move them aside. You will drive them out as you drove out the money changers. You will turn over the tables, Lord, cast them out, You will not allow our sinful nature to turn the house of God into a marketplace, into a place that satisfies its own lusts and its own desires, but that we will become a people, a holy temple. Hallelujah. A place, Lord, of sanctuary for the world, a place where your light and your truth shine from. And that wherever we go, whatever situation we find ourselves in, Lord, people will turn and look and say, what's different about them? What have they got that we haven't got? And that we will be able to show hope. Hope, Lord, that people can find forgiveness and mercy and hope and deliverance in a world that offers them none of these things. So, Lord, as your people are bowed before you, search every heart and every mind. Work on us, Lord. We're not asking for an emotional response. We want you to come and impact our lives, that your word will find a place to sit in our hearts, and that we will be changed from within. And I ask this of you in the name of Jesus, that you will bless your people. I do ask you, Lord, to pour out your spirit and bless each and every one of your people from the tops of their heads to the soles of their feet, that you will cover them with grace and with mercy. Lord, that you will empower us, you will give us your strength and your light and your truth and that your word will dwell in us, Lord. And that we will not be afraid to call out the sinful nature when we see it and cry out to you because you defeated that sinful nature on the cross. So we thank you, Lord, we bless you this morning that you are merciful enough, merciful enough to show us these things while there is still time for us to change. And so I just ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.